You're listening to Leaside Lives. To launch season two of the podcast, I'm very pleased to share with you a special tribute to the late Derek Mahan, one of Ireland's greatest poets. I recently had the pleasure of sitting in on a roundtable discussion between the poet Matthew Geeden, actor David Peer, and classical music lecturer Kevin Goggin in the beautiful surrounds of Kinsale Harbour. The trio discussed the life and writing career of Derek Mann, who spent a very significant amount of time living and writing in Kinsale. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this bonus episode entitled, It's All About Derek. So, uh, hello everyone and, and welcome. Um, we're about to do a, bo- a podcast. We're going to call it All About Derek, a podcast about Derek Mann. And uh, my name's David Peer. And I'm joined by Kevin Goggin and uh, and Matthew Geeden, who is uh, an expert, really. Uh, well, for myself and Kevin, he's he's the 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 ultimate knowledge of 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 Derek Mann. Uh, uh, we've we have discussed Derek Mann's works over over time and come up with questions and insights. And and Matthew said, "Okay, why don't we just discuss this on a podcast?" So that's what we're about to do. So, Matthew, I'm just going to ask you now to to start off with a, a small biography, maybe of of Derek Mahan. Okay, uh, thanks very much, David. Um, so, yeah, I thought to put Derek in context first of all is uh, the fact that Derek was one of the major poets of the 20th century, major Irish poets, uh, contemporary of Seamus Heaney and Michael Longley, amongst others, uh, and a poet who achieved worldwide acclaim. He was born in 1941 in Belfast in Northern Ireland, and he was the only child of working-class Protestant parents who had risen up to a status of lower middle class. His father worked in the uh, famous Harland and Wolfe shipyard where the Titanic was built. And his mother worked for a flax spinning company. So these were the two major industries uh, of Belfast at the time. He grew up on Salisbury Avenue, which is on the outskirts of the city, just off the Antrim Road. I've actually been up there and visited uh, the area and seen the house that he grew up in, a little semi-detached house down a a cul-de-sac, but very close, in fact, to uh, Cave Hill, uh, an area that Derek explored as a boy, uh, where he used to go and play and take his bike and and things like that, and uh, spent spent a lot of time exploring the countryside. And, of course, it has amazing views from there over over Belfast Lock and other areas. Mm. So his father was actually rarely home, and Derek unfortunately didn't get on very well with his mother, who was an obsessive cleaner, which for some reason disturbed Derek. Uh, even in later life, he had uh, he, he often said that he had a particular fondness for cobwebs. Uh, possibly some kind of reaction to his mother's cleaning. So he spent a lot of time on his own. As I say, he was an only child. He did have family, uh, cousins and things, and obviously some friends at school. But he spent a lot of time exploring, as I say, uh, the the park around Cave Hill. He spent a lot of time reading 
books were a, a big thing in Derek's life from a, an early age. He failed an eyesight test later on in life for the Merchant Navy, although whether he was completely serious about that, I don't know. I think in many ways he was probably just looking for a way out of the city. He said to me that he, he felt distance from the sectarian issues of, of the city uh, because uh, the violence really only reared up after he had left. So uh, he hadn't been particularly aware of it, um, except from a point of view of giving the city a, a sort of claustrophobic feel, he said to me, uh, a sort of provincial provincialism, I think. Um, which he wanted to escape from, and that was why, in, in later life, I think he was very attracted for what, for periods of time to some of the big cities like New York, London, Paris, uh, and of course he moved uh, and went to college in Dublin eventually. Mm-hmm. Talking there, Matthew, you said he did the Merchant Navy, and uh, I was just kind of wondering. It seems a, a far distant thing for. From a port to be to join the merchant navy, did, did was it as you say just something to get out, or did, was there any relationship that he had with the merchant navy, or how did that enter his mind? Well, I think I think growing up in Belfast, I mean by the sea and all the big boats, etc. His father working at the shipyard, uh, I think all that uh, played a part. Uh, but he wrote in one of his poems about his. Uh, a uh, wicked uncle who who went to sea, and uh, I think this was a figure that Derek kind of sort of uh, mythologized really um, in his own head and became very attractive. This kind of figure who would come back and have all these stories of of traveling the world, and I, I think a lot of Derek's sort of interest in in travel and place that developed through his adult life probably stemmed from mm. that. Uh, and, and sort of in later life, he, he wrote about his his wife, uh, wife's father, who who also was a, a sailor, and uh, uh, you know, so he he had an, an interest from a very early age uh, of of travel. Really. Okay. Yeah. So he attended a secondary school, a very famous uh, secondary school in Belfast, the Royal Belfast Academical institution known locally as Inst. And like any good writer, of course, he had a, an influential English teacher, a man called John Boyle, who Derek often spoke fondly of. Um, he mentioned to me once that uh, Yeats's poem, The Stolen Child, was taught one day in class. And after he read that, he said he started not feeling at home. It was an awakening of sorts. It was the first poem that really kind of made an impact on him. It's, uh, this uh, musical version, of, uh, uh, is there a musical version of that by somebody? Yeah, by the Water Boys. The Water Boys. Yeah, 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 and yeah. a wonderful version. Um, but it was, an, uh, yeah, it, it, it was the first poem, as I say, that he really um, made him see the potential of poetry. Mm. Uh, you know, um, and from then on, I think. To a certain extent, he, he started to sort of see poetry as, as something he, he might be able to do. Um, my Isn't it extraordinary that, that I mean, I've, of course I've heard this on, in other contexts as well, yeah. that 
that despite sometimes thinking of secondary school experiences as being just a sort of wall of information being processed in some way, that there's something, there's some unique sticking point or something. It might be a poem, it might be a piece of music, it might be whatever, that almost changes the life. You know, that, that even though we think of secondary school education as being just loads of information being crammed in there and reprocessed, but something happens. Yeah. And, and it's yeah, wonderful yeah. when you see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting that the story of Joy would have been the one. Yeah. It just comes down to one little moment. Yeah. It might yeah. be yeah. like five, yeah. minutes, five yeah. minutes of... Yeah, it might be an insignificant moment to yeah. others yeah. in the class at the time. I remember um, Derek's friend, the, the poet Desmond O'Grady, saying that he remembered being at school and the teacher came in, again, an influential English teacher, and he came in with two books and he, he put one up in the air and said, prose, and then put the other one up in the air and said, poetry. And uh, from that moment, Desmond was hooked, you know. So, it, 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 yeah, like you say, Kevin, it's these, these small moments in a classroom that can, that can resonate. Michael Longley, Derek's contemporary, who was a year ahead of... Derek at, at the school and they weren't friends at the school they got to know each other later but Michael Longley did remember Derek and recalled that even when they were at school together Derek had notions of being a poet mm. that was Longley's word notions um, and Derek's mother apparently thought of him as an oddity <laughs> which uh, is another word for a poet, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. We didn't say that, did we? No, no, no. <laughs> and is there any is there any um, poetry that was written at that time? Is there have we any sort of pieces uh, that they do exist? I don't have any to hand, actually, David. But certainly there is there are early works of, of Derek's um, existing from that time. Derek certainly wouldn't have uh, collected them and they wouldn't be in any of his uh, um, books. But um, I think they have been published in various kind of uh, anthologies elsewhere. And they show a real... I've seen some of them, actually, and they show a real maturity. So uh, even at that stage, he was um, exploring, like, rhyme and metre in a way that, uh, you know, most kids wouldn't wouldn't have an understanding of so he, he was working um really hard very early on to be a poet and in fact there's a story of uh, him entering a poetry competition around that time um and he was of course convinced he was going to win he was nothing if not confident mm. um and uh, so he entered this poetry competition a, a national one for northern ireland and uh, he was shocked and dismayed to hear that he'd come second. And he found out that the, the winning poet was a certain John Montague, who was, of course, also to become a famous poet um, in his own right. After school, Derek uh, did get his way and did get out of Belfast. In 1960, he arrived in Dublin to study at Trinity College. So he studied English, French and philosophy. But I think it's fair to say that what he was most interested in really was the literary life. Yeah. Not so much the, uh, the studies, the lectures. Um, it, was, it was getting to know other poets, getting to meet other poets, getting involved in the student magazine there, Icarus, 
which uh, Derek actually uh, edited eventually. And it was here that he got to know Michael Longley, uh, Ivan Boland and, and many others. Um, Longley was to become a lifetime friend and he first met Longley uh, because he, he needed a typewriter and he heard Longley had one. So he went and knocked on his door and asked to borrow his typewriter. I'm not sure if Longley ever got it back. <laughs> and also, uh, not long after this, uh, once he got to know Longley, there's a very famous story of Longley, Derek and Seamus Heaney making a pilgrimage to visit the grave of Louis McNeese um, in, uh, in the north, uh, in Caridor, in fact. And uh, so the three, the three student poets travelled up uh, to visit the grave and decided afterwards that they would write an elegy each uh, for McNeese and about their experience. Um, so I think they met uh, either a week later or sometime later anyway. And um, the, the, the story goes that uh, Derek read his elegy uh, and uh, Seamus Heaney uh, crumpled his uh, his poem up and threw it in the bin and Michael Longley pretended he hadn't written one. <laughs> so good was Derek's um, poem. And of course it's it, it's still known now as, as, as one of the fi- finest elegies of the late 20th century. It uh, was originally called In Caridor Churchyard. I think it's just called Caridor now. Derek had a habit of uh, changing titles and revising poems long after they'd been published. And that, that era, that would be, what, 1970s? 60s. 60s, 60s about mid-60s, okay. I'd say. Yeah, so he, he's, he finished his studies uh, there in, in Trinity. Uh, but he also had a year um, in the Sorbonne in Paris, Although, again, it wasn't so much about the, the lectures for Derek. It was about being in Paris in that period of time, which, as we all know, was a, an amazing, um, transformative and exciting period of, of time, um, especially to be a student, I would imagine. So Derek really made the most of that and enjoyed that and uh, got to know French pretty well. He was always quite shy of, of, of his languages, but he was actually a pretty good linguist. And I think French was certainly his strongest uh, language. And uh, he, he translated uh, some, some of the great uh, French poems, in fact, in his time. And sorry, no, was this, all, was this funded? Was, was he able to fund this? Or did he work or did he stay with... Friends are holding. I'm not like, sure. I'm not actually yeah. sure about that, Dave. I think he must have had some kind of grant. I think it was a sort of uh, part of his uh, university experience because he was uh, he's studying French. So I think he managed to get it on that. But in in later years, after Paris, he did uh, travel widely. Actually, so he spent time in Canada, the United States, and uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, London as well uh, and he did work at various jobs in this, this time you know, I think in Canada he worked in uh, a bookshop and he also managed to get teaching jobs here and there certainly in the American university system uh, for a, um, an emerging poet it was in those days uh, possible to get you know teaching jobs mm. um, but back to the back to the French sure. on Paris yeah experience that uh-huh. was 
that was that was as a student. He was a student there rather than a mm. a, a publishing poet or a. Or oh yeah, in those days. Yeah. I mean, he was publishing. He published started publishing very early while he was still at Trinity. Certainly, uh, he was getting to be known. Uh, you know, and uh, I, yeah, it wasn't long after that that Oxford University Press, I think, it was picked up on his work and and offered him um, a, pub, a small publishing deal. Um, but yes, you're right. When he was in Paris, it, he was a student very much. Although, as I say, you know, he, by his own admission, he, he he didn't spend any time at lectures. <laughs> he, I don't think many of the students no, in Paris did anyway. No, no, no absolutely. The cafes was where it yeah. all happened. You know, you had people like, you know, Beckett, uh, you know, would, would frequent certain cafes. Um, I, I remember, you know, I mentioned him earlier, Desmond O'Grady was also in Paris around the 50s and, and early 60s, and he used to talk of meeting uh, people like uh, Picasso and um, Jean-Paul Sartre. You know, it was a, an amazing time, really, to be in that, that area, and certainly uh, Derek would have met, met uh, quite a few of these people. I know he he did become fairly friendly with, with Beckett on a... On a in a small way, you know, they did exchange letters and uh, they did, um, you know, uh, I know Derek had, had uh, signed copies of some of Beckett's books. So, so yeah, it was, it was an, an incredible time. As I say, he wasn't there all that long. He moved around a lot. He, he had to come back to Dublin and then he went travelling. And uh, so the next few years really were uh, a kind of a period where he was quite sort of unsettled in in terms of where he was living um, but he was working away writing and as I say becoming established really in, in you know very young um, at this time and it, it was around that hit this period that he met and married uh, his wife Doreen and they eventually had two children and uh, so he had to find more settled work in the 70s and uh, ended up moving to London uh, to be with Doreen, who, who was working over there at the time for the BBC. So they settled in Kensington Gardens, lovely part of London. Derek uh, managed to get a job um, as a, a sort of features editor for Vogue magazine, which he got through his agent. And uh, that worked out very well for a little while, you know. He managed to get a good, uh, a few good articles done out of it. The first article he, he did was uh, he proposed a, a piece on the writer Anthony Burgess, the, the author of Clockwork Orange. Mm. And um, Burgess was living in Rome at the time, so Derek managed to, to get uh, a paid trip out there to, to go and meet Burgess and interview him. Uh, looks like a, a coup for a, for, a, for a commissioning editor or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely, I think it was. Um, but I mean, uh, he also got to meet Desmond O'Grady out there who was living in Rome too. And uh, that was, uh, that, that, that has its own story behind it too. Um, Desmond was uh, uh, living out in Rome and... Um, so Derek called him up and said, I'm coming out to interview Burgess. Uh, can I come and stay with you? Desmond said, of course, I'll meet you at the airport. Um, tell, just tell me when you're arriving. So Derek sent him a telegram 
and told him the, the flight details. And of course, when he arrived off the plane, no sign of Desmond, couldn't find him anywhere. So he, he did eventually track down where Desmond was living in a kind of back street of uh, somewhere in the centre of Rome and uh, knocked at the door. And uh, Desmond eventually, after several attempts, Desmond finally opened the door, completely stark naked, and said, well, you should have told me you were coming. <laughs> and uh, Derek, uh, Derek insisted he had sent him a telegram. Desmond insisted he hadn't. And as Derek walked in, he could see the telegram on Derek, uh, Desmond's desk, like, uh, yeah. quite obviously. Anyway... That's such an uncharacteristic story. It doesn't do great. Really. <laughs> yeah, really. Not quite. I don't think so. Um, isn't it also interesting? I mean, you mentioned Louis McNeese earlier yeah. on, and then the the energy for, um, and then Desmond O'Grady. Yeah, the, the, the little Kinsale links absolutely there, all yeah. the way through. Which are, That's yeah. right. Yeah, of course. Um, Louis McNeese's widow Headley uh, moved down to Kinsale uh, while Louis was still alive, actually, yeah. in the. Mm-hmm. End of the fifties, early sixties. Yeah, yeah, it must have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. she opened the spinnaker. The spinnaker, yeah, 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 yeah. Just after Peter Barry had opened the Man Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were the first two restaurants, which now is the the Good Food Circle, like it's turned into. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, certainly Kinsale does, like you say, Kevin, have this kind of draw to to Derek's life and other other people. I mean. Because Derek first came to Kinsale when he was a student at Trinity and he actually came down to deliver a dog from Louis McNeese to Headley, uh, an Afghan hound called Tara, which he brought down on the train, apparently. So so there's all these kind of funny little connections with the town, you know. And it's obvious, as you say, it sort of drew... Um, Headley McNeese, it drew Desmond down, it drew Derek down, it's... Uh, and of course, the yeah, biggest coup of all, yeah. it drew Matthew down. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course, Kevin. Um, so, yeah, and, and in fact, that brings us to the 1980s, when Derek did, in fact, move to Kinsale. He actually stayed in Desmond's cottage, Rincurran Cottage, um, just uh, uh, near, uh, between Kinsale and Sonico there at, Rin- at Rincurran. And he stayed in the cottage for a summer while Desmond was out gallivanting somewhere <laughs> um, and liked it so much that uh, he ended up renting a, a place in the town and ended up staying for a couple of years uh, in the 1980s in Kinsale. It was a bit before my time, but you'd remember, Dave. It yeah, was, uh, yeah, absolutely. There yeah. was lots of writers around. There was, there was. There was himself. There was Aidan Higgins had come in. Stanley Ge- Stan Gebler-Davis, um, Derek. Um, Alana Hopkins. Alana Hopkins, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all, all there. And all living, actually, fairly in near proximity to each other. They all seem to get, were up Cork, Cork Street at yeah. one stage. But I, so they were different times, I suppose. They, 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 yeah, they were different. They were uh, exciting times. Mm. Like, yeah, I mean, you'd re, you'd pick up the paper one day and um, there'd be, the, the whole thing had was always a reference to Kinsale as whether it was a, a book review or, or some sort of thing. And Stan Gebler was like, he was, <laughs> he was, he was great fun, and uh, and I think they, while they, they all mixed 
with each other there. There was all these little tangles as well. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Typical writers. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, and obviously a lot of it took place in the bars as well. And um, But I, I can remember, I mean, even when I was living in England, I can remember buying the independent newspaper and that there was this thing called Kinsale Diary every week. And I, I was yes. like... Kinsale, where is Kinsale? I couldn't imagine why the, this national newspaper in England was had this little this diary of this little fishing village in Ireland, and uh, and I didn't know any of the characters at the time. But um, did he call himself a nationalist unionist? Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Derek was here that, for for that period, like the late eighties, and of course there were. Arts that there was a very famous arts festival here for for that time. I don't know if you were involved, either of you. Or... Yeah, sort of peripherally, and yeah, because it was a small enough town that something like that happening it drew everybody in at some level. Yeah, whether it was renting accommodation or whether it was you know setting up the, the chairs or whatever. Yeah, it, yeah. it was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and they had some amazing uh, people come down to read. Yeah. People like. William Trevor, uh, Michael Foote, um, and of course the big coup was the Nobel Prize winner, Joseph Brodsky, right, yes, who yeah, came yeah. And, and read at the Trident. That's right, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> what, what was the story that he, like, he read? The, the, the story was that he came and, and read uh, completely in Russian, and that nobody understood a word, but everyone loved it. You know, and, and, and Russian poets do have a reputation for being very dramatic. They read the, the, the poetry, they almost perform it, they almost declaim it. Um, but that was the story. But interestingly enough, um, a couple of years ago, somebody gave me a tape. And it isn't in Russian at all, it's in English, you know. I, I think maybe there's one poem in Russian, but memory plays tricks and it gets exaggerated. And of course, one poem became the entire reading. <laughs> so, uh, but, that, that festival, that's really down to Maureen Theory, wasn't she? She was, she was a big influence on in that, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's those kind of things that really put Kinsale on the map, wasn't it? You know? Absolutely, yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, so does, does, Derek um, had a very uh, uh, interesting time in Kinsale in the 80s, mm. but not a productive one, unfortunately. All the time spent in the bars uh, and uh, organising arts festivals meant that he, he got very little done in terms of his own poetry. He used to write a, a review for the Irish Times, I think it was, like uh, regularly, which just about supplemented his income. But uh, in terms of poetry, it wasn't a great time. So he he actually moved back up to Dublin then uh, at the end of the 80s. And then eventually, he during the 90s, um, he went back to the United States and New York in particular. Wrote a long sequence that uh, was recently renamed New York Time and was performed actually at the Kilkenny Arts Festival a few years ago. I went up to see it at... Um, uh, actually, it was it was re- really impressive. Um, it was uh, Stephen Ray uh, was the, did a, uh, read the piece um, beautifully, and uh, it's a really really uh, powerful piece of writing. And it's about New York in the nineties, but so relevant even even to now. I mean, e- even then he was talking about 
you know, the Trump Tower and, and things like that. He was looking, he was seeing a New York that was uh, ugly, that was very much a, a sort of based on a capitalism, which Derek wasn't, you know, Derek was often thought of as being slightly anti-American, but I don't really think he was. I think he was, he was anti-capitalism, which is a different thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think he liked the, what he saw in New York at the time. Um, and um, anyway, he, he spent some time there. I mean, there was lots about America he did like. He loved the old movies there. And he wrote in, in New York Times, he writes about re-watching King Kong uh, and uh, his affection for the for the main female actress, Faye Ray, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um so he certainly wasn't anti-American, but uh, he, he was very suspicious of the way America was going uh, at that time. And so eventually uh, he came back to Kinsale, returning here in 2003 to live out his years, um, living up at the Grove on Compass Hill. He was in, he was in America and... New York and elsewhere, teaching very often. Yeah. Uh, and would he then have retired in his own head in, into Kinsale? Or was it was it part of a continuing yeah. travel experience? No, I, 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 think, I think that's probably a good way of putting it, actually, Kevin. I think in some ways it was a retirement. 2003, he would have been 62, um, so I think he, he, he it was certainly a, a, um, I think he he'd earned enough um, in his time in America and through Estona he has a, had a kind of annual kind of stipend uh, from his books you know he had some money coming in so I don't think he was badly off and I think he probably decided around that time that he for whatever reason Kinsale drew him back. Um, obviously it's a lovely place to live uh, by the sea um, and uh, it, it, in 2003 he decided uh, that's, that's actually when I first met him I was running a bookshop in the town and uh, this person came in and, and quietly like sort of poked around the poetry section and uh, for a while and then came up to the counter with a book on a Irish poetry uh, which included an essay on him, and I realised mm. it who it was. I, I, I realised it was Derek buying a book about himself, um, or at least containing an essay about himself. And um, so, yeah, he, he he bought the book, and, and we got chatting. And um, he was telling me he was about to move back to Kinsale, and uh, so we decided to, to keep in touch. And I invited him round for a meal, and you know, it went from there. Really, we got became good friends. The, the, those last years from 2003 until Derek passed away in 2020 it was a real late flourishing, uh, which was fantastic to see because at times Derek talked about giving up poetry or he, he was done with poetry, mm-hmm. he would sometimes say, you know, and uh, I got to realise that these were just sort of periods in his life, like for a year, two years maybe, and that... He wouldn't. He would always come back to it. There was something there that that drew him. I think. I think he said that he was at his happiest when he was working on a poem, and in fact, where he lived up at the Grove. Oh, you both know the Grove. It has a beautiful view there, like 
looking out across Kinsale Harbour, you can see the boats, you can practically hear them, you can uh, see the houses uh, along the hill, you can see Charlesfort, I think. Um, so from there, you know, he had this view that he used to particularly like at four o'clock in the morning, which would be when he would come down and, and sit at his desk overlooking the harbour, you know, in in the night, he'd see all the lights, uh, the street lights, the boats, the harbour lights, and uh, that would be the time when he, he would write, you know, like at, at the time when everywhere was quiet, and then uh, he would write for a couple of hours and, and then go, go back to bed. Um, that was his kind of routine, really, or part of his routine. Uh, so those last years, I mean, <laughs> you only have to look at some of the books that he produced in that time, to realise how how uh, important they were to him. Uh, as I say, Derek was hugely respected in the literary world as a whole. Um, we haven't really talked about any of the individual poems, really. But mm-hmm. um, but just before you get on to the, the uh, individual poems, if you were, yeah. that's where you were going. Um, so you talked about Derek as a poet. You've mm. talked about some of his earlier. But what was he like as a as a person, as a companion, as a friend, as a just, you know, somebody that you would meet routinely. And I presume you also talked about things other than poetry from time to time. Uh, rarely. <laughs> yeah, occasionally, occasionally, Kevin. No, no, we would, we would, certainly. We would, um, a, a lot of our talk, though, surrounded Derek's life, really, which is, uh, you know, because uh, he, uh, he wanted me and uh, to write... Uh, a biography of his life. So a lot of those talks did revolve around the things I've just mentioned, you know, his uh, experiences, the places he lived, um, you know. Uh, so so I got to know him quite well through doing that. Obviously, we would meet and have coffee and, and, and chat, really, and I would take notes. But um, despite that, he was a very private person. You know, he wouldn't... He wouldn't take to everyone. He was quite wary, really, um, you know, of what people's intentions were. Um, uh, I can remember being in uh, at a reading. The two of us gave a reading, actually, in Cork. Um, not sure when this would have been, probably around 2014, somewhere around that time. We read in the Metropole Hotel, and, and afterwards um, everyone was... There was a big queue to get Derek to sign copies of of his books, and um, I remember like Derek was signing a few, and then somebody quite brazenly in the queue said, "I'm going to put this straight on eBay when I get home," and Derek heard that and immediately stopped signing. You know, uh, yeah, and and you know, it was things like that that Derek mm. was very wary of. He didn't like that kind of. Uh, sort of behaviour. Yeah, um, he seemed to be always for the the outsider or the couldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, the minnow. Yeah, yeah, no. He he. That that was. I mean, that comes out in his poetry yeah. all the time. All the time. This this interest in people on the margins, on the outside. The the poem I, I was just thinking of, of of was is the famous one, Disused Shed in County Wexford, um, which talks uh, very much about the victims of society, the forgotten ones, the people of Treblinka and Pompeii. 
you know, he, he was very much aware that history, uh, as we know it, tends to be about kings and queens and, you know, leaders, etc. And it tends to forget that the, 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 the rest, you know, the, the, the victims. Um, John Banville, the novelist, in fact, called that poem, Disuse Shed and County Wexford, called it the, the best single poem written in Ireland since the death of Yeats. And uh, I think there's many would agree with that. It's a poem that uh, is complex and and has many, many references. And it's one that you can go back and back to and and keep seeing new things in. Uh, I mean, it's it's an amazing piece of work. Yeah, I think uh, he won numerous prizes, including the David Cohen Prize. um, uh, And... It's poems like that that, uh, that that really sort of set him above mm-hmm. some of the other writers around. I mean, there, there's so many great great poems, I think, that Derek wrote. Uh, he really left a legacy. I remember him saying after Desmond O'Grady died, he said, oh, well, he did all, as much as could, as, as could be expected. He wrote uh, 10 poems that will be remembered. Um, and that was Derek's sense of how, you know, how a, a poet is remembered. You know, mm. if you can write ten poems that will be um, remembered. But Derek, in fact, wrote many more than that that will be known forever. I think there's some uh, some incredible poems that, that that I often think of, like the Snow Party and uh, Mayo Tell. And I mean, it, do you have any? Poems that you're you're particularly fond of. Um, the, the, the Kinsale ones are are oh. always yeah. Uh, I've uh, I've enjoyed those very much. Uh, um, against against the clock is it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah one of the later yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, it's they're so so clever. And like the thing I find about them is um, Derek would like pick a subject and. It could be anything, and he'd delve into it and find imagery like that might be ex- two different, two extremes, and 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 meld it into one poem. So he take an image from yeah one side and another image from the other side, and and melt them together. I, yeah, yeah, incredible. Like, and uh, I think we discussed like the how like Seamus Heaney is like well known and. And and easy to read, or uh, and Derek then is like different, yeah. isn't it? Derek is. Yeah. yeah, I think I think Heaney's poems are are, um, are are fine poems, and they're they're very um, traditional, really, in their subject mm. matter. I think he he writes about a very particular sort of rural, sort of Northern Irish Catholic background, and he does it beautifully. Um, but Derek's work to me sort of moves, looks another way. It looks towards Europe, and it's very European and intellectual in its uh, concerns, or even further afield. I mean, just as you were talking there about sort of poems that meld subjects together, I was thinking of a poem I just mentioned, "The Snow Party," mm-hmm. uh, which is a, the poem is ostensibly about uh, a, a section from Basho's great travel book um, Narrow Road to the Deep North and in that book there is a section uh, where Basho joins a party 
who get together to to sit by the window as as people did in Japan in centuries ago to sit this was obviously before TV to sit and watch the snowfall uh, something as simple as that so Derek took that instance that moment in Basho and he converts it into a poem called the Snow Party and. What makes it so interesting is that it's not just about that, although you can read it like that, but it's also written at a time when um, violence was erupting on the streets of uh, Belfast, you know, of his home city. And, you know, there's references in that poem to this barbaric cycle of violence that, that, that... that goes on even while others are watching the snow fall. And, of course, it seems very relevant today as, you know, tanks roll in across the border in the Ukraine and here we are sitting looking out across Kinsale Harbour in the sunshine. Um, so these things take place at the same time and it's it's hard to sort of uh, marry the two in some ways. But that, that poem, The Snow Party, does that. Mm. And it does it brilliantly, um, so subtly and, and so such beautiful imagery and so such soft language to reflect, I think, the kind of falling of the snow. Yeah. Matthew, you've, you've referenced several times his um, his travelling and experiencing different cultures and different parts of the world and whatever. We, um, we clearly acknowledge Derek as one of the great Irish poets, perhaps the greatest Irish poet of the last 50 years or whatever. Um, but does he have an international reputation in, in, in America, in Europe, in wherever, I mean, around the world? Yeah, he, he certainly does. I mean, <laughs> he... He certainly has an audience in America. I think a lot of his uh, his papers and letters were bought by university in America. So um, certainly there's an academic interest over there. Uh, in terms of Europe, he's always had a big audience because Europe has been one of the big subject matters. I mean, he's always been interested in French literature, but also German too, and and uh, Italian um, and other parts of Europe. So uh, there was, to celebrate his 80th birthday, which would have been last year, there was, uh, last November in fact, there, would, there was a conference up at Trinity, which had people from all over attending and people who are writing their theses on on Derek and different aspects of his work, like, for instance, the use of objects in his poetry. Um, And then coming up in May this year, uh, there is a uh, there is proposed to be um, a sort of a conference at the Sorbonne in Paris uh, uh, looking at Derek's work again with uh, other readers and uh, yeah, so so there certainly is. There's certain, he's certainly known. I mean, he's not known in the way that Heaney was known, um, but he has his own following. It tends to be very much a kind of literary following. He's a, he's a poet's poet, I think. Mm-hmm. Other poets uh, revere Derek. Um, you know, like Heaney appeals to um, a, a very wide population, but Derek's work, because of its subject matter, uh, um, and because of its cleverness in many ways, the, the the very subtle use of rhyme and rhythm in the poems, those kind of things make his work 
very attractive to other writers, you know, as an example. Uh, uh, you know, so he's he, he has followers all, all over the world. His work has been translated, too, into many, many different languages. So uh, he's somebody that I, I think will, uh, whose reputation will sort of slowly grow and grow uh, in years to come. And it was it's been... An amazing honour and pleasure to sort of have known him yeah. over these last few years. So, like, yeah, so it's he's, he's crafting, isn't it? He's the way he crafts the words, the economy of words, and things like that. He's, uh, him, which, like, he's a poet, and uh, poetry seems to be his thing, but like, did he do any prose, or is there, like, is there, is there any? Yeah, he did actually. He would be uh, less known for the prose, um, of course. And he he also wrote um, plays and translated uh, plays, uh, which were put on by the National Theatre in London. So, but yeah, certainly poetry is, as you say, is what he's known for and will continue to be. In terms of prose, um, he did write. Obviously, he wrote reviews, which kept him in, uh, you know, uh, kept him in, him in fountain pens or, or whatever. But he wrote reviews like for various um, newspapers, and periodicals, etc. Uh, some of those were collected in a book called Journalism, which he was very dismissive mm. of himself. You know, I think he he called it hack work. Uh, he didn't really, he wasn't really very fond of it. But, um, but in later years, quite interestingly, when he wasn't writing poetry, he started to write uh, little short autobiographical essays, okay. um, which have been published in a couple of collections by Gallery Press. So it is prose, they're little, little short essays uh, on anything that takes his fancy, really. Um, so they might be about seaplanes, for instance, or they might be about going to the cinema in his youth and things like that. Just very, very nice little snippets. They're not um, meant to be uh, particularly sort of literary, perhaps, mm. Uh, I think though that he just enjoyed doing them, you know. I think it was uh, um, something he discovered in later life that that was a little diversion when he wasn't writing poetry, um, and maybe in some ways it kind of helped him get back into into, okay. into writing, you know. Yeah. Towards the end of his life, you know, it's kind of balanced uh, balanced the poetry in some way. Mm. Mm. That's great, isn't it? Mm. Look, we've kind of learnt a lot there I mean, I mean absolutely yeah. I mean yeah. would make me want to look up some some of these works now that I haven't uh, that I haven't looked at is there a, are there anything like what would you recommend we do Matthew yeah well last year um, as I say it would have been Derek's 80th birthday and this book was always planned even before he 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 passed away so gallery press published at the end of last year the collected poems now it doesn't have everything in it's just called the poems 1961 to 2020 but it's the kind of definitive collection as Derek would want it mm. it to be um so these are all the poems that Derek stood by and Derek was famously fussy he would uh, take out poems from his 
previous collected, but these are the ones that he felt, you know, were he wished to preserve. So I'd, I'd recommend anyone who hasn't um, read much of his work or, or just wants to begin reading it, then this is the book to get. And it goes through um, his life pretty much chronologically. Uh, and this starting with spring in Belfast and ending with his last days in Kinsale. So, yeah, anyone who wants to find out more, this is oh, the book I, I would recommend. What's the, the name again? The Poems, 1961 to 2020, oh, and it's published by Gallery Press. Um, okay. Excellent. Well, thanks for that, Matthew. I suppose we It's very really good. Yeah, yeah. 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 Gives me an appetite to um, to dig into it more than I have done already. So that's got to be good for somebody. Yeah, even yeah. me. Great. Thank Thanks, you. Matthew. Thanks for that. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you. <laughs>